And we're back. We're back. According to our Simple Cast website, it has been 74 days since the last podcast we posted. I know. Which is two and a half months, approximately. Unacceptable. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, guys, we've really been uh, blowing it as far as consistency, but uh, you know, to at least try to get you guys in the loop of what's going on in our life, why it's happening, not an excuse, just an explanation. Mm-hmm. Sydney is real pregnant, and uh, she's working a lot, and she is pretty, pretty toast at the end of the day and on weekends. She is becoming the king of naps and of falling asleep early. Naps. Nap king, falling asleep early, sleeping in late and feeling nauseous and violently puking. What? I don't feel nauseous anymore. I mean... I, I was sick last week. Yeah. Uh, we'll just say not feeling super great all the time. Feeling a little weird. Feeling a little odd in her body and dealing with, you know, hunger and discomfort and other physical issues. So, anyway. Right. Um, but she's making a baby, so... As I'm yawning. Yeah, I know, right? See if we can even get through this. Um, <laughs> but she's making a baby, so we're super, super duper excited. Can't wait to put, share that online once that baby comes. And um, just had another appointment yesterday. Got to see, kind of see the baby's face. Not a great picture. I don't know, man. The baby doesn't look that that good in that picture. So I'm hoping it it shapes up. You know, she's only two pounds, twelve ounces. I know. She's a tiny little smidge. I know, but I feel like that face ought to be looking better by now. Oh my gosh. She needs to be a little more, a little more pretty. We'll see what we'll see how it comes out. Okay. We'll let you know how it comes out. Um, but yeah, the short answer She's is still our precious. We're gonna be the the parents that are like, "Isn't our kid the best looking?" <laughs> no, I think I'm gonna bag on my kid pretty bad if it's ugly. She I shouldn't say it. If she's ugly when she comes out, I'm gonna bag on the kid pretty bad on social media. And then by the time she's old enough to use social media, she won't she won't be able to see that. Oh my gosh. Um, because I just keep it Great. real. Great. So anyway. Uh... Confidence it's builder. okay. I'll tell her to her face she's pretty, but then I'll kind of look over, you know, the camera and be like, nah, just kidding. Anyways. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I've been studying and studying and studying to try to uh, prepare for a series of tests for a new job I'm trying to get. And so that's kind of taking energy out of me or taking focus away from me. We're getting our house built, and that's taking a lot of focus. We're driving to drive across town, at, you know, usually every week to go check up on the house, do paperwork sometimes take measurements, things like that. So just a lot else is happening in our life. And, you know, honestly, this is the sort of thing where, you know, it's it's just hard to stay motivated on this. We, we make our list and this ends up being at the bottom of the list and we don't get through the list. So it's that simple. But anyways, we want to say that we care about we care about you guys and uh, we want to keep doing this. We feel like God called us to do this. And so, of course, we had to pray before this and sort of acknowledge and repent for not being faithful and uh, kind of both have a heart-to-heart with each other and say, we're going to try harder moving forward to be consistent about this. Yeah. So, please accept our apology. That is that. Um, is there anything else in life that we need to update people on? We're building a house, building a baby. I'm still riding. Three months left still for ri- the baby. Yeah. Still riding dirt bikes. You're still working away at Lash Affair. Yep. That's pretty much it. It's kind of a lot. Sold some dirt bikes, building some other dirt bikes. 
Going to parties. Mike's going to be in a wedding. Oh, yeah. I got a bachelor party in two weeks that I got to be at in Glamis. So, yeah, some some events, some parties are there. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, um, we decided... That's our weekend update. (laughs) That's our weekend update. We decided, excuse me, I got to adjust the mic a little bit here. Um, At some point, we needed to have a conversation about divorce because uh, a lot of marriages end up in divorce and uh, it's kind of a big topic and... You know, if you're thinking about getting married or you are married, then, you know, you've probably put at least some thought into divorce and what is that about and what's that like and um, where do you fall on that? Whether you're married now and you're concerned about it um, in the future or or whether you're not married and you think about what would it it take for me to get divorced. Um, It's a big topic, especially in our country. There's a lot of statistics kind of loosely thrown around about it. I want to clear some of that up and I want to just kind of have us do a little bit of a deep dive into what, what are we really talking about when we talk about divorce? So, um, my, uh, I have a very big family. I have eight aunts and uncles, um, and on my mom's side and then on my dad's side, it is complete chaos, uh, in regards to marriage and divorce and out of wedlock children and infidelity and mental illness and craziness. And then, of course, on my stepdad's uh, side is just, it's its like a, an episode of Jerry Springer. It's utter craziness. And then for Sydney, you know, she's also a child of divorce. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, yeah, both of your parents have had multiple divorces. And so she's kind of bounced around mm-hmm. between those households. And so we are unfortunately extremely familiar with the topic. And so it led, led to some very interesting conversation for us about this. And so, um, and I think a lot of people are scared of getting married because of what they've seen with divorce and the effects oh, that sure. divorce has had on them growing up. Well, we're going to get into statistics in a minute here, but one of the statistics is that, uh, I'm sure you've heard pastors, cause if you're listening to this, you're probably a Christian, uh, but I'm sure you've heard pastors say less and less people are getting married these days because more and more millennials are saying, and even really Gen X are saying, why am I even doing this if it's going to, if I got a 50, 50 shot and ending in divorce, I saw it end bad for my parents. I've never seen it done well. I'm not going to do it. I know plenty of guys who are in relationships that they don't ever intend to get married. So anyways, I figured let's just start with the Bible. What does the Bible say about this? And, you know, uh, most of us have heard this verse quoted. Um, I'm going to read Matthew 5, 31 and 32 which is kind of a synonymous with uh, Mark 10, 6 through 9. But it says this, uh, Matthew five thirty one. It was whoever sends his wife away. I'm sorry. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, so this is sort of the go-to verse that I was basically raised with as a kid who grew up in church saying, you know, well, is divorce acceptable? Well, only if somebody cheats. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I guess that seems fair. You know, getting cheated on sounds like the worst thing ever, so it kind of seems fair. It seemed like a pretty neat, nice and neat, acceptable answer um, as a kid and, you know, even as a moderate mild Christian. Um, and it seems to be most people's, uh, simple, clear cut answer, you know, divorce is not acceptable unless somebody gets, um, 
unless somebody is cheated on. But, you know, what's funny is it doesn't really say that, does it? Uh, Jesus here, obviously this is uh, quoting Jesus, and he said, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, comma, except for in the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying, if you divorce your wife, you have turned her into an adulterer. And then he puts the caveat, I mean, you know, unless she's already committed adultery, in which case you're not exactly on the hook for her now being an adulterer. So, meaning, the question he's answering is saying, he's answering a different question, I think, than, the, than what we are asking. And I think he's answering the question of, is divorce okay? And he's saying, uh, is it okay? Well, if you do it, you'll turn your wife into an adulterer. Uh, so, isn't it it's sort of obvious the answer to that is no. And then he's saying, with the caveat... And I'm guessing in this time, women weren't allowed oh, to divorce. Oh, forget it. Yeah, Men. well, also, you know, I mean, if a woman can't go and get a regular job, she's not going to get health insurance, okay? She's not going to get Medicaid, Medicare, government assistance. Uh, she's got her husband and maybe her family of origin if they're not too old and dead. So basically, if her husband says no and she is damaged goods or she's, you know, marked in the in the stain, unforgivable stain at that time of adultery, I mean, she's really screwed. Basically, her options are prostitution or starvation uh, unless she can come back to her parents' household, but in, in which case she's going to just be a spinster. It's like she 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 literally has those three options, and all of those options are really bad. And so, um, so times have changed. Times have changed. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but anyways, the point I'm trying to make here is this verse that we quote all the time, saying, "Well, you know, there was adultery, so I, so I'm out." It really the Bible's, let's just say, Jesus is really not at all saying that. You're you know all these other things about marriage and divorce are irrelevant or you're somehow off the hook um you can pass go and collect two hundred dollars like he's not saying any of that whatsoever uh even 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 vaguely with this verse all he's saying is that you know if your wife's not already an adulterer you will have made her one by divorcing her and in you when you really think about it in context that that's all that he's addressing there's nothing in that whatsoever um, that's saying, okay, well, in this case, yeah, I guess we can kind of, we can kind of accept the divorce. He's not, he's not and saying that not at all, not even suggesting it. Illegal, the legal certificate of divorce, but mm -hmm. when you're married, you make that covenant. So that's why he's saying that. I'm not sure what you're asking, sweetie. Because when you get married, you're making a covenant, which is before the Lord. Whereas a certificate of divorce is a man-made legal um, thing. So that's why he's that's saying that. That's why you're making her an adulterer. Because if she goes on to marry somebody else. That's interesting. She's still technically yeah, under I mean, God married to this person. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't really think about it like that. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that, you know, in this case, well, I should say in all cases, you know, divorce is significant and supposed to be permanent because this is a covenant made in front of the Lord. You mean marriage? <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> marriage. Uh, I see how I, I, I'm thinking too hard right now. So it, it's like I'm, I'm slipping on my words. But yes, marriage is supposed to be permanent because it's a covenant in the Lord. And that, you know, the certificate of divorce is just on the legal side, but it doesn't do anything for the spiritual side. Right. So 
because I was just wondering why would they then be an adulterer? It must be for that reason. Right, right. Because I guess you could, I guess you can't really legally be an adulterer, right? No, because it would be, you're, you're, you've already made a covenant under the Lord, so a piece of paper isn't going to destroy your covenant. Um, so there's kind of a couple points we want to hit here. Um, so the first, the first point I want to hit is the statistics. And so, you know, we, one of our more popular podcasts, we just looked at the, the numbers was why even get married. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's interesting because our lowest ranking podcasts were money and communication, which I'm like funny because those are your real issues you need to deal with in most marriages, but nobody wants to listen to those podcasts, <laughs> which is uh, kind of ironic, but maybe indicative of why divorce happens. But um, probably because everyone talks about that and people are tired of hearing about it. So anyway, um, note to self, don't, mar- don't title your podcast money or communication if it's a relationship podcast. Just a, just a hint if you're trying to get those numbers up. Uh, oh that's what we learned today. Uh, so... Still got to talk about it. Statistics. I know. I guess we have to, we have to be more sneaky about it to just like subtly sneak it into people's <laughs> minds. Um, okay, so I, I've heard this statistic my, basically my whole life or at least for the last 15 years. Half of all marriages end in divorce. And I hear that from the pulpit. I hear that from atheists. I hear that from the news, the movies, the whatever. Everyone says half of all marriages end in divorce. Well, that is technically true. But like a lot of other things you've heard quoted, uh, you should probably look into the way that they have analyzed those statistics. So uh, I don't have the link to the website in front of me. If you're really curious, you guys can reach out and I will find the link to the website that did this study or has done these series of studies over the last, I don't know how many decades, but <clears throat> I can quote it basically off the top of my head, which is this. Um, those studies averaged out any marriage that ever happened anywhere with anyone. So that means that your grandma and grandpa and their marriage, when they got married right out of high school and they stayed married until their 80s and then they died, is in the same category as um, somebody who's got a severe cocaine addiction on his fifth marriage. So... All five of those marriages go into the same bucket as your grandma and grandpa, and they average out, you know, how, how many marriages legally end in divorce. So um, so they count people's first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, tenth marriage. They count um, people getting married for green cards. They count um, child brides. They, ch- they count all of these crazy things. So let's just keep in mind there's all these extraneous things. But what's the very interesting t- statistic to me which uh, I hope it hurts some feelings because that means you guys are listening. Um, (laughs) Basically, the scale goes like this. If you've been divorced before, you are something like 200% 200 more likely to to have another divorce. So if this is your second marriage, it's way more likely um, to end in a divorce than your first one was statistically. Because you, mm-hmm. because I guess you know, part of it's kind of like, well, you already made the biggest commitment a human being could make, and you and you bailed out on that. So, whatever. And I'm guessing they count all the drunk marriages in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They also they count that, like uh, whatever that movie was, Hitched. I don't know. Who any movie? Yeah, that right. Is any, in Vegas. Any, any rom com, uh, or Friends, several episodes. But anyways, uh, so they count those, 
<clears throat> and uh, so you're 200% more likely to get a divorce if you've already been divorced once. So uh, if, that, if we're going to extrapolate some advice from this, uh, don't get divorced once because then you might be more likely to get divorced twice. Um, then the next most likely person, the mo next most likely couple to get a divorce, which is more than 50%, is couples who have lived together before. Uh, before getting married, and so I, I'm going to get. This isn't part of the statistics. This is just a micism here. But I'm, I'm assuming because living together before you're married um, does not help you practice divorce. It helps you practice. Uh, doesn't help you practice marriage. I'm sorry. It doesn't help you practice marriage. Thank you. I have my assistant here to, to help me when I, when I get stupid <laughs> and I say the wrong words. I'm glad you're listening. Just babe. mixing up divorce super, and marriage. Super glad you. Not uh, like that's important. You're not practicing marriage. You're practicing dating and having a back door. So w whenever there's a back door, anyways, I'm not. I shouldn't get into this because that's just more my philosophy about why you shouldn't live together before you're married. So let's just go through the statistics and stick on topic of the things I actually can talk about. Yay, topics! So, anyways, if you live together, you're more likely to get a divorce. And so then the next level down is, did you guys sleep together? Okay, they're less likely to get a divorce than the people who live together. Okay, well, the next level down of, we're talking percentages of less and less likely. Um, the next level down is, were you virgins or not? Or, yeah. Well, next level down would be if you slept with other people. Right, if you slept with other people but not your spouse before you got married. And so then your next level down for the by far the least likely to get a divorce is were you both virgins when you got married? Now, of all the people I have met who've listened to this podcast, I don't think any of them were virgins before they got married or they're currently not married. They're not virgins. So sorry, but that's just what the t statistics say. But basically, if you got married, you and your spouse both were virgins when you got married, didn't live together, didn't sleep together, wait till your wedding night, uh, I think it's less than a 1% chance of those couples getting divorced. So that means all the couples they ever interviewed over decades uh, or that they followed statistically um, of the ones who waited until they were married to have sex with anybody, it's like less than a 1% chance. So what... Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to do all the work it took us to grow to get to this point in marriage again, like with anybody oh, else. Yeah. I mean, totally separate, totally separate thing, but... Dude, so much, right? Yeah. So much. It's just like, I oh think, God, do I want to do this all over again? I think that's why when people get divorced, like I'm never getting married again, because they saw how hard, how much work it took just to get the good stuff out of it. Right. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We've been through so much. Don't, don't go, please. <laughs> and it makes sense why you would be so much more likely to get a divorce with your second marriage because you know, <laughs> you know like all the bullshit you know already hard, you know how hard it actually is right um, but the reason I, I quote all the statistics was to say it's really misleading to say you have a 50 50 chance of getting divorced you know as if when you're standing there at the altar you know somebody flips this invisible coin that predestines you to to whether or not you know it's heads or it's tails you know and you're gonna end up with tails oh too bad you got divorced because you know you just ended up on the wrong side of the statistic it's extremely dependent on the, the people, things that you've already, well, the decisions the you've way, already made. The decisions you've already made coming into the marriage. And, you know, also, you know, if you are in one of those brackets and you're not proud of it or you don't want to be in that bracket, you know, it doesn't have to be a death sentence. You know, it can be, you know, you can make lifestyle changes and belief changes and integrity and moral changes to compensate. And the for, work that you do in your marriage. 
Yeah, yeah, do the work in marriage. Effects. But, but you know, I, I kind of want to illustrate this and one other statistic to get people to understand it's not random. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen. You know, there, there's a lot of factors that go into it and it's extremely predictable based on, you know, you, you could look at a bunch of people's personal information on paper without ever having met them and say with, you know, be sort of close at your statistical guess of the likelihood of getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that should give you confidence and that should give you hope because that means that there's something you can do about it. Um, if you are trying to be married or you're trying to stay married, then there's something that you can do about that. There's some things you can do about that to change your, the decisions that you make. And, you know, it's, I love when statistics about overall joy and happiness in life line up with that thing that you've been hearing at church for decades now. It's like, huh, weird. Almost like the Bible sort of had a head start on that and kind of knew what they were talking about. Anyway, um, and then the other thing that's interesting, you know, for men, <clears throat> for men, sexual promiscuity for the most part, can kind of be recovered from. And you can, as a man, go from being fairly promiscuous to pretty monogamous. It's not pleasant, but according to the statistics, it's not as hard for men to transition into being monogamous and faithful after having lived, you know, that nasty life, quote, <laughs> quote, sowing your wild oats. However, for women, uh, the chart that I saw, it's like in a really, really close correlation that basically says... The more sexual partners a woman has had before she's married, the more likely she is to initiate a divorce. Also, 75% of all divorces are initiated by women. Actually, it might be 80. Um, so, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 well, I think because men can compartmentalize sex so much more than women. Absolutely. Women have their heart and soul Absolutely. tied to it. Absolutely. Whether they think that or not. And that comes down to... Um, pair bonding and I think all mammals to some level ha have differing degrees of that chemical What's in their brain word? pair bonding p-a-i-r dash bonding like a pair that you eat no or like a pair of two people if you were gonna guess which one do you think it is it's probably not talking about fruit I'm bonded to a fruit <laughs> of all the fruits to be bonded to a pair you're is, gonna choose a pear. A pear choose a, a banana a, a pear is the least exciting fruit well that's phallic um delicious Anyway, so no, pair bonding as in the chemicals that cause you to unite to one person permanently um, are, are what gets released during sex. And the more times that you release that and you lock yourself into having sex with a person and have that, well, spiritual people call it a soul tie, but really on the completely secular side of studying how mammals work, they call it pair bonding because you can measure certain chemicals like... Um, like oxytocin and one other chemical, which name I can never remember, that causes you to bond to the person that you're doing that thing with. And so the more times that you do that bonding and then you rip it apart and then you do it with somebody else and you rip it apart, the less effective it is. And it affects women way more, which means that when a woman is with a man and he's a good man and they want to be married and they want to be faithful and they're good to each other, the, the mechanism that allows a woman to bond permanently to that man in the way that she needs extra above and beyond choosing to be married. But the kind of, we'll call it the chemical side, the, the emotional side, the mental side that allows her to be really stuck to that guy is broken and defective. And so they find themselves being less maritally satisfied um, in their marriages if they've been more promiscuous. And so that's something that's really, I wonder how much that's affected me. Probably a lot. 
I mean, who knows? Because there's no way to go back in time. Yeah, probably a lot. But I just think about how much issues that I've had also, like, with just sex in general as far as how comfortable I feel about it and different things. But at the same time, because I have had partners before we were married, I could see how that that would be really affecting me and my ability to pair bond with you, you know? Uh-huh. I'm just thinking about this because I haven't heard this before. You're just thinking about this now? Yeah, because you haven't told me about it. I feel like we talked about this early in marriage and it was like a real touchy subject, so I decided to just let it go. And Also, I didn't know as much about this and everybody shamed me for bringing that up. Like, tremendously shamed me about, you know, hey, this is like a problem and it's not, not fun to deal with in our marriage, you know. The, the past, past things that, you know, Sydney's been involved with. And so uh, I was sort of like shamed away from having a conversation about it or acknowledging the consequences of it. And I yet, think because it had... made you just so angry or shut down that, well, it, it, that me... it ended up not being a good conversation. It really never made me angry. It made me really hurt. It made me feel like sick. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that that's like a multi-layered thing. And I've dealt with some big chunks of that already. But, yeah, I think that, you know, your relationship to sex has been, we'll just say, a struggle at best. And uh, mm-hmm. you've obviously come a long way. But, I mean, I'd still say it's still a, a very complicated issue for you. And I think it's been a lot harder for you than it needs to be. Right. And I'm sure that has quite a bit to do with it. Damn it. Yeah. It's almost like you shouldn't have done that. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> But well, we'll never know. I just gotta heal through it now. It's true. But it's good to acknowledge that for what it is. Because if you can never acknowledge it for what it is, then you feel defective or broken or like you have a problem that doesn't make sense. Like what I was talking about with me and my relationship with school. Right. Well, we're not going to get into that in the podcast. But, you know, when you have a, a belief, later podcast. <laughs> much later. When you have a belief that when nobody tells you something is there, there's an aspect of your life that's not right or it's broken or it's damaging. It's not, and, and people are giving you some bad input. You can never do the math to make sense out of the problem when one of your inputs is incorrect. And if one of the inputs for me with school was, uh, you know, you're just mentally broken. That's why you can't do these certain things. When the truth was I was dealing with a lot of trauma that nobody wanted to call trauma. Um, then I could never make sense, and I felt like a crazy person. I could never make sense otherwise. There's so many problems in school. Um, and you know, but for Sydney, if it's like, well, I'm I'm okay. Like for a long time, she always said, well, God forgave me, and I don't think about it. And I feel like I've moved on. I'm healed, and I've been cleansed. And like that's the end of the conversation. Then it's like, okay, I guess we're not allowed to talk about it anymore. But now we're having all these problems with sex, and we kind of always have. And she won't, doesn't see this other issue, which is bringing this this damaging into our marriage that's supposed to cause that that's broken this mechanism that has directly to do with sexual bonding then you know before maybe we'll just say right now she maybe hasn't been able to make perfect sense out of why she has these struggles so we're gonna have an interesting conversation of this podcast but (laughs) um but it's good to just have those realizations for yourself so that you know okay it's not I'm not just a broken, something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason behind it. And and then 
you know, I can't go back in time, but I can at least define it a little bit better and ask the Lord to specifically work in that area or show me things in that area that can help us grow, you know? Absolutely. Um, I think you should talk about your view of divorce. or what helped you yeah. kind of reconcile with the whole divorce is not an option. I, um, so one other mis one other misconception that I've noticed is, uh, you know, I, I wanted to get rid of the, those statistics out there because I wanted to erase this sense of inevitability about divorce. And it's totally not inevitable. And we're not even getting into all the things you can do to be a better spouse to move yourself off of the track of going towards divorce. That's a whole other podcast. We probably already covered that on, in several other podcasts. Yeah. So communication, money. <laughs> <laughs> That's your problem. Okay. Cause you didn't listen to other podcasts. That's why you're listening to this one and with tears in your eyes, sobbing over a bottle of gin. Okay. So one other misconception is just this simple idea of the grass is greener. Um, in, right. in both of our families, <laughs> Both of our families, we know a lot of females, and we also have non-blood-related friends. Uh, um, I guess that's a redundant statement. We have friends that are not necessarily family. Non-blood-related uh, friends. That was a stupid way to say that. Sorry, folks. It's it's late. I'm pretty tired. Uh, We're both tired. We're just going to power through this. Uh, Mike rode his bike for 10 miles today, so he has no blood left in his head. My bicycle, and I tried to pedal as fast as I could. So. Yeah. Uh, 10 miles is a long way, folks. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot. Here we go. Sounds like a lot to me. The, the, uh, <laughs> what I'm trying to say here is that I, I don't have a statistic for this. Um, we just know from experience. Right. Wait, I don't have a statistic. Of the statistics of, of the life. people in our lives. Of experience, yeah. I, anybody who has a t statistic on this, I'd love to see it. But it seems like from what we've observed, people who get divorced, Christian, non-Christian, uh, male, female, they do not seem happier after. And before they get divorced, all they talk about is how much they hate their spouse and how much they want to be free. And they feel like, you know, the, the grass is greener on the side and they're going to go around and have all this freedom and have all this fun. And it's like, I've, I've known people now who are 10 years out of being divorced and they seem worse. And, uh, you know, I was there the whole time. I, I've seen what they were like before they were divorced. I see how they are after. And it's not better. You know, we've got friends who, we've got a friend who's divorced and she's, I mean, she, I don't think she's on the brink of suicide by any means, but doesn't doesn't really seem like tremendously fulfilled or happy now. Um, whose name will go unnamed, of course. And uh, you know, my my mom got divorced, you know, from her first husband, who was not even my dad. And uh, you know, Sydney's mom and dad have had multiple divorces, and I mean, you mean maybe you could speak to this, but. Can you really say they're better off after? I mean, after? your mom's probably happier now with Jonathan yeah, than she was with that Ron. Was, that was over a decade of way less happy. Oh, before she met Jonathan? No, no, no. After being married to Jonathan. Oh, yeah. Because she jumped into a different set of... A, the opposite type of problems that she had in her first marriage. Right. And... Uh, she overcorrected. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that might be being, coming down on her too hard because I think it was just... It's not like she went through, you know dozens of resumes and, and picked this guy it just kind of worked well, out no. yeah. but anyways I mean if, if, you, if you want to speak to that you can but if not you can just say aye aye oh at that point yeah just about have you, have you witnessed people being happier now that they're divorced 
I mean, I think in some aspects, as far as... I mean, I think the realistic thing about happiness is that you have to choose happiness, whether you're alone or with somebody or whatever, every day. Yeah. So it isn't really like, oh, because I'm married, I feel happier. But, like, if I wanted to, I could nitpick and choose all the negative things that to focus on in our relationship, and that would make me unhappy. But mm-hmm. I have to choose to acknowledge the good things, recognize the blessings, and I think that's a struggle for anybody, whether they're married or not married. I just think that life can tend to be easier when you have two incomes, when you have somebody that you can rely on, when you have the support, um, when you're raising a child, you know, you have somebody that, that in all aspects doesn't owe you anything, but is there for you and there's an understanding that this person's going to be here for you, you can lean on this person, you can get the support of this person so there's a comfort there and I think that life can go a lot easier when you're with somebody versus being alone so happiness I don't know about that I think that's a choice that everybody has to make every day but ease of life and convenience yeah uh for sure that's I mean like the bare minimum is still totally true about what you're saying Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, the point I want to make, which really infuriates me is parents convincing themselves that divorce doesn't hurt, traumatize the crap out of their kids. And let me just tell you, and if you don't believe me, if you think I'm just being some Christian fundamentalist, Dr. Drew Pinsky, who is far from being a Christian, uh, but he's a very objective person. I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, he said dozens of times, uh, divorce is an extremely traumatizing experience for a kid because your whole world is based around your family and uh you know your foundation your foundational realities for that my parents are together they're here for me we're all under this one roof i can count on them and then once you know especially when the younger they are the worse it is of course but when they when that part of their reality gets ripped apart it's literally like the fabric of the space-time continuum gets ripped apart in their understanding of the world and in their soul. So the things they thought they can count on, they can't count on. And it's just an extremely traumatizing experience for a kid. Um, you know, and I hear a lot of kids just talk, or a lot of people talk about it in hindsight, like, yeah, you know, it's better off for my parents. You know, they're, they're happy now. And sort of doing this excusing thing for their parents. But I got to be honest, I've sat in a lot of counseling and trauma-related groups of people um, in organizations where people just deal with their trauma and deal with their, their pain and their hurt. And uh, always, always, always comes up, you know, whether or not they acknowledge it as trauma, it reveals itself to be trauma. Oh yeah. The parents got a divorce at this and this age, you know, and that's when I started doing this and acting out and whatever. And uh, I think because it's maybe not as socially acceptable for a teacher to say, Hey, your parents got a divorce. It must be very traumatizing for you. Like 
maybe that's why we don't acknowledge it anymore. I don't know. I just know that when I was in seventh grade, I knew one person whose parents were still married. And so it, it was like, a, it's been a normalized thing for a long time. But anyway, that's the misconception. The last misconception I want to say, which is that when people say, oh yeah, you know, my kid's fine. He or she's doing great. Or all of them are doing great. You know, they understand, they understand. It doesn't matter what, like a kid can't articulate what they're feeling and experiencing. It's a traumatizing thing. And for you to try to convince yourself that it isn't is, is totally you pulling the wool over your own eyes to, to have whatever your own selfish desire is, or perhaps to, uh, feel to, to, to justify your bitterness more realistically at that point. And a lot of kids end up like, I know I felt kind of in the middle because my dad didn't do it so much, but my mom would, you know, <laughs> talk about my dad and say how awful he was or belittle him or whatever in front of me when obviously he wasn't around, but it was, that was traumatizing in itself because now I feel, now do I have to defend my grown father to my grown mother as a child? Like, right. And you're putting these situations that are completely... Totally unfair. Totally unfair and not healthy for any kid to have to handle or endure, be expected to, you know, handle it like an adult, you know? Totally. Um... And then uh, kind of the last point I want to hit is something that's, this is very anecdotal for what I personally dealt with in our marriage. I don't even think Sydney's on the same page as me with this, but it helps, it's helped me. So I've always been of the belief that divorce is not an option because... Oh, you're moving on to the next point. Did you have another point? No, it just... I didn't, I didn't transition well. The transition Guys, wasn't smooth. we're working on it. We're working on it. A lot of, lot of rust right now. We're shaking it off like Taylor Swift. So uh, <laughs> the the um, transitioning to topic C. How's that? How's that? Uh, <laughs> just this quick point I wanted, to, I wanted to make, which is interesting for me, because I, I quoted the same thing that many Christians say, um, which is divorce is not an option. And I just thought that by making that commitment emotionally, mentally, verbally, that I was going to make it one way or the other. My marriage was just going to work out because I always saw that divorce as being a commitment problem um, and a willingness, a problem with people being willing to stick, stick it out and to dig deep and to try or to, or to forgive or to go to counseling. I just thought it was, it was like a try problem before I was married and, and it's still often very true. It is a try problem for a lot of people's marriages. So it's not false. Uh, I want to make sure I get that out. And it's so much so that I would, I, I often use the phrase burn the boats, meaning for those of you who don't know history, we'll, we'll, I'll just recap. There've been several military leaders throughout human history who've done this. We're basically, Hey guys, we got to go conquer this new land. The guy goes, Oh, the guys go, okay, sounds great, boss. Okay, cool. Well, when we get to the shore, set all the boats on fire. And they go, wait, what? Why? He said, and the military leader goes, uh, well, because if you lose, you die. There's no retreat. And then all the warriors look at each other and go, I guess we better really freaking win this territory, huh? <sighs> so that's the burn the boats analogy, which is that if you're, which is the go all in. I think Napoleon was famous for this. Um, you go all in, which means you don't have a plan B, which means you, you will fight harder when you know you don't have a plan B. That's really what it's about. And so if retreating from the battle is not an option, i.e. divorce, 
then you're going to give 110% of the marriage. And I was like, okay, cool. So I went into the marriage with that attitude thinking, yeah, that's enough. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I'm sure it's going to be rough at many times, but you know, I feel like that's enough. And it turns out for me, that's not enough. Uh, because, you know, I, I thought there was one road to divorce and that road being, and maybe there's many, but I'll just tell you of the two that I'm aware of. The main road is giving up and not trying and having a backup plan and entertaining the thought of the grass is greener. I'm so bitter at my spouse. I'm so angry and then giving up and then kind of intentionally doing things to cause your, your spouse to then react poorly, whether that makes her leave or makes her fuel the fire that justifies your leaving, whatever. turns out there's another route. You know, Sydney and I went through some really tough times after I started making money again because we went through financial trouble for a long time uh, in our marriage and that covered up underlying issues because, you know, basically the short answer, the, the short explanation is, you know, when you're not sure how you guys are going to eat that week or how you're going to put gas in the car or where money's going to come from to pay rent, you're just really not concerned about that tone she just used uh, to when she told you to pick up your socks. Like, you're really not concerned about all those small things. You're just like, let's freaking survive. What am I going to do to provide for this family? So that's kind of where we were for a while. And then once I started making more money, all of a sudden, like a lot more money, and all of a sudden we started having a, a considerable amount of extra income to save every month, our marriage got worse than it's ever been for me, not necessarily for Sydney, but for me. And I realized what happened was the yeah, big, we very, we very a lot on, on experience <laughs> this topic. Yeah. Well, I'm just telling you where I'm coming from, but, uh, I felt like all of a sudden Sydney was super, I don't know, disrespectful and, which is a lot of conflict all of a sudden that we're happening. I'm like, it doesn't make sense. Like all of our, all of these, like the cloud has been lifted. We're making money now. We can go out to eat. We can, we can buy, pay our groceries. We can put money in savings. We can pay off debt. We should be happy. And it got worse. And so we started going to counseling because it got so bad that I, I had this epiphany one day when I realized willpower is not enough to keep our marriage together. I felt like if things kept going the way they're going, if she keeps talking to me like this, keeps making me feel this way, uh, one of us is going to break because I just recognize my own human frailty. And to think that I can just tell myself divorce isn't an option and just like hold myself in this high and mighty position of piousness, uh, is extremely arrogant. And I recognize that myself that I'm, I'm not strong enough to just say divorce isn't an option and then everything go great. I realize that if things keep get going worse, uh, you know, maybe 10 years from now, maybe five years from now, one of us is going to break and one of us is going to compromise on our values and one of us is going to cheat or one of us is going to have enough anger and resentment and bitterness to just, to, to talk ourselves into packing up and leaving. And it's not about, it's like at that point, obviously we would be disobeying God and we would be not acting in a godly fashion. But I just realized that like misery multiplied over time can be enough to outweigh any man's or woman, I guess, but in my case, any man's willpower. And I kind of saw that, I kind of saw that from the, out in the distance and I went, oh no, I didn't, I didn't realize this could happen. And so for me, um, I've kind of stepped away from this whole idea that divorce is not an option because turns out there's another route to divorce that's not due to a lack of willpower. 
I'm sure people are going to be criticizing me on like, well, you know, if you would just try harder, but the issues we were having felt like I couldn't fix them by doing more dishes and cleaning more and buying her flowers and rubbing her feet. Like the, the, it wasn't fixing it. It wasn't making it go anywhere. We're having some major communication issues. I'm a pretty damn good communicator and I couldn't figure it out. I felt like we couldn't sit down and talk it through. And, and there was some major underlying bitterness roots that had taken, taken hold of what was going on underneath. And I think that the roots had grown deep enough that there were, that I was not no longer able to stop it from the surface. Um, you know, and not to throw you under the bus, you can talk about it if you want, but something you had shared with me at one point that there was a root of bitterness that you kind of felt had really taken root in your heart and had been growing for a while. And so anyway, it got to the point where I realized we had to have counseling. Um, and funny thing is Sydney was kind of oblivious that I was feeling this way, even though we're fighting all the time, uh, what I considered fighting, not what she considered fighting. Um, Sydney didn't realize I felt this way. I'm like, we need to go to counseling. And she's kind of surprised and Basically, uh, all I'm saying is what I've learned for me is that when you give me rules uh, and you kind of shake your finger in my face, and even when I do it, try to do it to myself, uh, I'm the kind of person to say, F your rules, F your moral judgment, F your, con your um, shaming obligation. I'm going to flip over this Monopoly table and throw all the pieces on the floor and give you two middle fingers and walk out of the room because I just buck so hard against obligation and feeling guilt tripped and shamed it's just so it, it it evokes the absolute opposite response i mean i realize that attitude of like divorce isn't an option there's a is a real bad approach for a guy like me and then there's plenty of girls like me too and they're just and so all i'm saying is you know when i recognize that divorce could absolutely happen even though i don't want it to that scared the crap out of me and it scared me enough to say, we got to go to counseling right now. And I know this is super expensive and this is totally not in the budget, but we've got to do it anyways because we got to save this marriage. Because I recognize that for me, you know, I've got my three biggest goals. Number one, love God and be the greatest Christian that I can possibly be in the life that I have. Number two, be the greatest husband I could possibly be. Number three, be the greatest father I could possibly be. Everything else after that is like, meh, you know, sort of the side dish. Those are my three main things in mm -hmm. life. And if this marriage fails, I can't do two out of those three things and I'm going to be utterly devastated and my deepest convictions about life will be lost. And that's where the urgency happened for me of recognizing that like how badly I don't want to lose this marriage because the implications of how much of a failure my life would be uh, is enough to scare me into doing the right thing. So the reality of the consequences of a failed marriage scared me into it. Why am I telling you all this so long-windedly? Well... That advice, I don't even know if it's advice. My, let me say it this way. My experience and what I need to stay motivated and to stay humble to make our marriage better every day is a lot different than what you hear from a pulpit and probably what from what a lot of people need to hear or internalize. And so I'm just using this as an example to tell you people out there, um, if you feel like just saying divorce isn't an option, isn't really enough to get the best out of you, then start exploring the implications of, I don't know, start exploring new ideas. I don't know what you need. I mean, I just told you what I needed and I just told you my thought process and the realization that it came to and, and how I arrived at the conclusion of trying hard. I arrived at the place of trying harder in my marriage through a completely different route. And so I would encourage anybody, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Just saying divorce isn't an option. Hearing that from your pulpit um, is not a one size fits all solution. And so um, I would encourage you to find other ways to stay motivated 
to uh, stay married. And um, yeah, that's my that's my rant. Um, I guess yeah, if you think oh divorce isn't an option, you almost feel like there's a little bit of a safety net. In that. yeah, that was the other thing. Knowing oh divorce isn't an option, so never gonna happen. But well, then when you kind of flip it over to say, actually, divorce is an option, and you really think through the implications of what would divorce do to your life and yeah. to your family, and, and you know, now we're going to have a kid, like, to our kid, mm-hmm. <clears throat> then the responsibility becomes probably a lot more real for you as a man. I mean, for me, saying divorce is not an option works for me because I'm really good with the boundaries and the rules and the stay in the lane. And I'm the one who had a mohawk in high school. So <laughs> And in my mind I just feel like yeah, divorce isn't an option for me because it just isn't. Um something else on that note. One time Sydney said to me, sitting on the couch casually kind of laughing. She said, well, you know, at least I don't have to worry. I said, what do you mean? She's like, well, I know you'd never leave me. And she said it in a way that made me go, what? Wait, what do you mean by that? And it was almost like, uh, not like, she was saying it because she believed in my character and integrity, but it came across like, well, I mean, you know you couldn't find anything better than this. And, and I, the way I took that was, don't get too like that don't get too comfortable, sweetie. Don't act like, well, it's not like you could ever leave me, so it doesn't matter what I do. That was the way I took it. And that to me is like I'll go print out the papers just to prove a point, like right now. Yeah, and I'm like not even trying to get a divorce, but like that freaked me out I'll so do bad. It. That freaked me out so bad when you said that because to me to me, to a lot of men, the thought that their wife is so comfortable that she thinks, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. It's not like he's going to Most men don't get married. And they say it. They say, well, I don't want things to change. And like, what do you mean things to change? Well, because for dating, then she wants to actually be on a good her good behavior. And if we're married, then she gets too comfortable and she thinks, you know, she doesn't have to put in the work. And sorry, relationships are work. I know it sounds selfish or misogynist but it's not like it, both sides need to put in the work and men have heard story after story after story after story how once you get married the sex stops and the nagging begins and you got to sell your motorcycle and like you know when sydney said you that sell your motorcycle. i mean i've got a lot of look on craigslist read the bottom of the of the uh explanation there's oftentimes something about that on motorcycles are the women just selling the motorcycles on their behalf that without. happened one time that was weird uh, oh, no, girl wanted to reach out to me. Anyways, we're not going to get into that. So, yeah, don't, I, don't get so comfortable, even if you're, you are both committed to that phrase, divorce is not an option. Well, if you act like divorce isn't an option and you want to be lazy, you could make life for yourself and your spouse extremely miserable. And that's a super selfish thing to do. And while I don't believe that Sydney intended to make me miserable or be selfish, I was scared that if she internalized that belief that I could never leave under any circumstances, then that would cause her to not try to be the best spouse she could be to me. And that was a very scary thought because everyone defaults towards selfishness and laziness. Mm -hmm. 
So, we are going to finish this out with a Bible verse um, that Sydney is going to read. And uh, this is going to be, what is this, babe? Is this Mark? Matthew 19. Matthew 19. 8 and 9. 8 and 9. Go ahead and read that, babe. He said to them, Jesus being he, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Is that the verse we meant to read? Yeah. So the thing that I was taken away from that was... And it kind of goes back to in the beginning what we were talking about, the legal, the legality of a divorce and it being a man-made construct to get a divorce and concept. Uh, he says that it's because of your hardness of heart that this was allowed for you. and Not because it was good. Yeah, not because it was good or it was the right thing, but... Kind of how the reason that that the Lord gave the people a king because their hearts were hard and they didn't want to just follow God. They wanted a ruler like all the other nations. So he gave them what they wanted, even though it wasn't necessarily the best thing for them and it wasn't good for them. But he said, all right, you guys are going to be hard of heart. You're not going to listen to me. I'm going to give you this thing that you say that you want. And it's not going to be better, but here it is. So, in the same vein, I think divorce happens because the Lord allows us as people to be free-thinking human beings. And he says, you know, you think you want this thing, so here you go, and I'm going to give it to you. But it's really not good for you, and I think a lot of women... Uh, in particular, I'll speak from the woman's point of view, obviously. Ladies. <laughs> uh, if you have hardness of heart where you are becoming more bitter and angry and you're not recognizing it, you're not allowing the Lord into that that part of what you're struggling with, and... You then start blaming everything on your husband, and you feel like the victim, and <clears throat> and you continue to live life, yeah, just thinking, just playing that out as far as, I'm the victim, this isn't fair, he doesn't treat me well, I deserve better, so-and-so that I work with, like, treats me so much better than my husband does, or... My friends are all saying that he shouldn't talk to you like that, and... It's always the friends. It's the <laughs> friends and all the, and the hens and the, and the aunts and the moms and the sisters. And you start uh, to feel justified, and instead of inviting the Lord to soften your heart and say, and say, hey, Lord, you know, please illuminate the parts of my life and the parts in my heart that are hard and bitter and angry and they're not really (laughs) 
hard and bitter and angry and they're not actually <clears throat> you're not actually inviting him to say hey change these things within me illuminate the parts of my life that I'm struggling with the aspects of our marriage that I'm contributing to and even just today we had uh we had a lot of moments actually of where yeah <clears throat> it was really frustrating and today was rough yeah and my tone of voice that I was taking with Mike was really unfair and it was angry and it was bitter and and I was taking my frustration out on him with the situations that we were going through and it was really shutting him down and we had to have that heart-to-heart -heart conversation to Mike's just taking pictures <laughs> we had to have that heart-to-heart -heart conversation for him to really share hey because in the moment I wasn't feeling very I was feeling very self-righteous and very justified in my tone and my point and the things that I was trying to say whereas he was feeling very hurt by it and it was almost to the point where I felt like I don't even want to hear that because I want to stay in my zone of feeling justified and feeling heard and whatever and that, that I can express myself <clears throat> no matter what it's like making him feel like which is the wrong way to go so him explaining you know I get it that you don't feel sorry for what you said but that doesn't mean that you didn't hurt me and you know I'm expressing that and it's not necessarily about you feeling like you want to apologize or that you need to apologize it's about recognizing that what you said hurt my feelings and I just want you to be able to recognize that and at least own it and if you continue to have like that verse says that hardness of heart and you don't allow that to sink in where your spouse is literally almost pleading with you to be reasonable and to understand their point of view and to be gracious with where they're being affected if you just ignore all that you continue in, to walk in your hardness of heart then no wonder you're going to get a divorce because you're not allowing God to work in your marriage you're not allowing your if your heart is hard you're not being transformed you're not being renewed daily by the gospel all these things that the Lord promises if you're open to it you're not going to be able to receive and your marriage is going to suffer for it and you're going to suffer for it. So we were able to get to that point where I still didn't feel necessarily sorry about it, but I was able to at least recognize that's really shitty that I made you feel like this and I could acknowledge that it was shitty and that I made that I made a mistake and that I that my tone wasn't good or 
that I hurt him and I could acknowledge that and ask for forgiveness for that. And then later, the conviction came of actually feeling the, the weight of what I had done. Yeah, it was a heavy, heavy moment this morning. And the irony is that this day started with a blowjob, so I thought it was going to be I know, he goes, the best day ever. He goes, let's make it the best day ever. <laughs> like, and then <laughs> in the afternoon, I was like, what happened to this being the best day ever? And he was like, I'm just as surprised as you. <laughs> uh, but credit to Sydney. She... Her strongest, her strongest uh, personality traits are a double-edged sword. And <laughs> she can be passionately determined to get her point across in bitterness and resentment. And... And passionately put your dick and, in my mouth. And express... She can also passionately do that. But just mind, folks. Sorry. Uh, and express... Express herself, even the negative. And she can... She is also the quickest person that I know to when, when you deal with her rationally and reasonably when, when she's calmed down, she's the fastest to repent and to own her sin of anybody I've ever met in my life. And I told her that on the drive back, even though there were several more incidents in the later in the day, but I told her <laughs> that's probably the single most important thing in a spouse that I'm most grateful for in you is your willingness to look at yourself honestly and to criticize being willing to criticize your own behavior and ideas and actions and being willing to repent quickly and honestly and genuinely and completely. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like we have more ups and downs than I want. I would prefer a more even keel marriage. It can be a little tiresome, but at the same time, I wouldn't change you. And I love you. And I'm super grateful for your humility and your willingness to swallow your pride for our marriage. Thank you. Also, the verse I had you read was not the right verse, because that's basically the, uh, the same verse as uh, what I read before, because I screwed it up, because I did not put good notes on here. But right here, I have Mark 10. This is the verse I wanted to finish things off with. Uh, Whoops. Well, I had a really good point for great, that You had a great so point, <laughs> so it, it kind of all worked out. Uh, Mark 10, 6 through 9. So that says... And this is Jesus is speaking as well. Uh, but from the beginning of creation, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Or a woman. Or a woman. So... That's kind of how I wanted to end it, is to say, you know, this is plan A, and always shoot for plan A, which is stay married. And uh, this is Jesus just talking about the nature of marriage. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of thinking about this now. Probably should have had a conversation before about this podcast, but, you know, I'm thinking about situations where there's extreme situations where, you know, somebody's like a meth addict and they're just completely out of control or there's like physical violence and abuse. Um, the one thing I would say as a caveat, I can't say, listen, I've heard of crazier things than you can imagine being healed, dealt with, forgiven, and then have 
so much success in a marriage that they go on, and go on a book tour about it. Okay, I've heard of the craziest stories you can imagine being dealt with and healed and people moved on from it. However, if you're in a situation where there is physical violence in the home or there is illicit drug use or crimes being committed, I guess illicit I should say, weed is kind of like not exactly that, but if there's crimes being committed and you're in legitimately an unsafe space, call the mother effing police. Call your pastor. Call a shelter. Let's be honest, we're talking to women here. We're not talking to guys. It's not a lot of guys getting beat up by their wives, but mm-hmm. get out. It, it, you don't have to have a conversation about marriage or divorce in that moment, but just get out. And if he hits you, you call the freaking police and you deal with it legally. You press charges, you do whatever you have to do. Um, that's a kind of a separate issue. Let the exception, not the rule for sure. It's, it's, it's honestly very rare, but um, yeah, if that's a situation, take care of yourself physically first and then, you know, We'll deal with things as, on a case-by-case basis as it goes. I'm not saying that that justifies divorce necessarily either, but um, yeah, just want to make sure I have that caveat in there because I know there's some situations in some denominations where women feel like if they call the police on their husband who's beating the crap out of them, then they're being a bad wife, and that is beyond fucked up, and uh, just want to make sure we acknowledge that and that we are trying to be fair and reasonable. Um, I've also heard a lot of women say that their partner was one way before they got married and there was almost like a switch flipped when they got married Mm -hmm. and they were a completely different person. Yeah. And I've heard that in it play out in different ways, whether it was that they became abusive right after they got married or they became almost emotionally detached after they got married or they started having crazy pornography problems after they got married or secret is they probably (laughs) didn't start after they got married. Right. She just, he just started telling her. Well, that's kind of my point is if you're not married yet and you, you're, engaged or the person that you're looking to possibly get married to at some point because somebody was just telling me this the other day that they're just started dating somebody and they're about three months in and it's going really well and she was telling me about him and she's like honestly like there's just no red flags and I was like that's a red flag (laughs) (laughs) so uh she's like what do you mean and you know I said I said, in my mind, if someone, and what I appreciate about Mike and the way that our dating relationship went, even though it was stressful in a lot of ways, but there were so many opportunities for us to have conversations where where we were able to confess to one another, hey, this is what I struggle with, or, or we were just able to see, I mean, Mike has a little bit more discernment, a lot more discernment than I do, so... He was a little uh, more able to see things in me that were red flags and things that were like, okay, that, that could be an issue when we, you know, are together later. But for him, he was already all in because listen to our other podcast. But <laughs> for me, it was really important to hear from him, him just confess like, hey, this is what I struggle with. This is... um you know, the thought, the thoughts that I had today that 
that weren't great or I haven't been reading the Bible or, you know, there's just different things that he was able to not confess to me. It was me confession. Not, was it confession? Definitely confession. Yeah, I guess confession um, and just open up to me in those ways to, to basically lay it all out on the table and be like, hey, this is the good, the bad, and the ugly, like, might as well get it over with now, because we're going to be married, and he already knew that. Um, but I think if a man is pursuing a woman for marriage, then those things should come up, because you're going to have to do that same thing in marriage, and you should be practicing that in dating, those, like, confessions, and obviously in an appropriate timeline, not just first date and you're just <laughs> laying everything out on the table but um I feel bad for those women that I do hear that their spouses like completely changed after they got married and and that they were kind of blindsided by the whole thing um and and they in every case they're like I don't understand because he was so different and none of this stuff ever came up before we were married and it's like Okay, well, that's a problem. So. And the male version of that is the sex stops once you get married. Right. Which is sort of like a gospel Bible verse among non-Christian men. <laughs> it's like the one thing they can all count on. Right. So. So all that to say is um, I know that we're trying to get away from talking to... Are we trying to get away from talking to people that are dating? I don't know if like the dating people are who are listening. No, we had to a lot us, of, or... yeah, we had uh, plenty of single people who are trying to do it right. Yeah, we so... have the one person who gave us a review. Who's dating? I think she's engaged now. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, she's engaged now. Whatever. We got like a hundred downloads. <laughs> so yeah, I guess it's kind of a mix of what of what uh, of what we're trying to speak to because I feel like there's a lot that we have recognized in retrospect of the things that happened when we were dating that were good or what we wish that maybe had happened or how we've seen other people date well or not well. So it's easy for us to talk about that and be reflective about it um, because we haven't been married for 20 years so it's not like we can say this is like this whole journey but for five it does, years it does we've feel had like, a it does feel like a lifetime it feels like a couple lifetimes since the first day when we met it feels like maybe two or three lifetimes at least and now we're about to have a kid which is a whole nother whole nother, whole nother journey time warp yeah so so anyways if there's no red flags then that's a red flag so you should look into that consider it Lastly, one thing I wanted to acknowledge that I, I realized I didn't acknowledge on the podcast, and I think it's important, um, is I listened to some of the earlier episodes of the podcast, and I, sent, I, I, I sensed a tone in myself towards Sydney that uh, wasn't so good. I didn't like it. Didn't like how I sounded talking to Sydney, and it was a little bit of dismissiveness towards her and that's not good and I'm not cool with it I don't support that I don't think it's right and so Sydney did mention that one of our listeners even brought it up much later after the fact that after I realized it and so I realized I should probably you know I just made that change 
I think, so, I, I hope so, several, I, at least I made the conscious decision to try to change that several episodes ago. And, um, but because we have listeners who are not necessarily listening to these the moment that we're putting them out, I want to acknowledge that. Um, in some of the earlier episodes, that was something that was a bad habit that I had, and uh, I didn't realize I was doing it totally subconscious. And it actually re- it made it let us have a really huge conversation that was like kind of some breakthrough stuff for me, where I realized that I had this, I guess it was an idol, or the need to be perceived a certain way when I'm trying to share information, and I, I felt like I had an obligation to always be the most interesting person in the room, and if I wasn't, then I was worthless. And so when I felt like... When I felt like Sydney was not going along with what I was saying, or Sydney was maybe interrupting or derailing this really super important thought I was trying to make, then it was it would kind of frustrate me, or it was like, no, 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 don't you see what we're doing here? Which, it sounds really arrogant, but really it's more of just a, a defense thing. It's not about me getting credit for being the smartest guy in the room. It's that I, I internalized this belief a long time ago when I was young that the only reason I have value is because I'm smart. And if you can't prove to everyone all the time that you're smart, then you're worthless. And so mm-hmm. it's like this constant, constant. It's like a girl who's really pretty. <laughs> this is like arrogant to compare myself. But we'll just say a girl who's like naturally pretty, always feeling like she has to t- put on a ton of makeup and do her hair and do her nails and get up at 4 a.m. to do all this stuff. It's not fun after a while. It's not about the pride. It's about if I don't do this, I'm worthless. And so mm-hmm. it revealed an idol in my own heart um, that, uh, you know, it's funny who, who God puts you with as a spouse. It's sort of just, they, they tend to be the perfect person to reveal your uh, shortcomings. But, you know, Sydney's the type to just kind of be like, oh, look, something shiny. And, you know, I'm like the super intense dig deep. deep Literally deep, me at you know, Walmart Drill today. down. Oh, gosh, that was another fight. You were hungry, though, so I'm going to let you off the hook, you know. But uh, I was like, ooh, fluffy. <laughs> literally. But yeah, I just want to acknowledge that and say, hey, that's something I was doing that was not right. That's not, doesn't mean I'm some kind of misogynist or anything, but I was being dismissive towards Sydney and it was because, you know, she was not going along with this idol that I was trying to worship, which was this version of myself that I was trying to present because I didn't believe that, you know, I was good enough as I am and that I'm Mm -hmm. of value to other people just for who I am without being the most interesting person in the room, saying the most interesting thing. Um, so anyways. Keep it interessante. Interessante? Okay. Um, anyway, want to acknowledge that. And uh, that's it for this episode. Right, Sid? I believe so. Well, what should we talk about next time? We haven't even begun to have that conversation. Are we talking about sex? Isn't that the next one? Uh, I mean, you wrote that down. But last time we tried to do that, it got real weird real quick. Although, we're a little more experienced now. Um, But we'll just say, perhaps, our next episode will be what kind of sex God says yes to. Um, Yeah. That's not a good title. It actually does sound like a good title. (laughs) It sounds like a title of a sermon series. Right. That's a big box to open. So I wonder if we could... There, there might, it might make sense to break that down to a few episodes or subcategories. We'll see. We'll see. Stay tuned. We'll see you next time. On Millennial Marriage. With Mike and Sydney. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. We love you. Good night.